rolling. Following takes place between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. on the night of the Ultimate Fighter Season 24 finale. Events occur in real time. Previously on the Four Horsemen of Combat Sports podcast, amongst all the normal bullshitting that we talk about, a glitch occurred that knocked us out of action for three months. Was it a terrorist plot? Maybe a double-crossing government agent. <laughs> nah, nothing that exciting ever happens to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, due to scheduling conflicts and technical difficulties with our computers, we were out of action for a little while and went our separate ways. Horseman Nick took about five different jobs working full-time. <laughs> <laughs> Horseman Josh split his time with a constant search of food and then sleeping. <laughs> Always. Horseman Drysdale decided that he's ready to go back to school and has been preparing for that because he's getting tired of looking up college girls online and rather see them in person. Yeah, they are more attractive in person. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and Horseman Joe has been doing more interesting things like stopping by the TriStar gym up in Montreal and chatting it up with UFC fighter Joanne Calderwood. Pull not, that that, not, not that he bragged about that. <laughs> Pull that thought, Joe. How many cats do you have now? <laughs> oh, that's exciting, too. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so. 17,000 cats, right? So, might as well be. Yeah. He's a cat farm, basically. That's what, that, that's what he runs as a cat farm. So, after being inactive for so long, finally got the opportunity to interview Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt Chris Mann, who's also the owner of Top Game Academy here in Richmond, Virginia. So, the horsemen have reunited to ride again, and we are back. Hey. Yes! Yeah. How's it going? You sound so, so enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, man. You can, I cannot even contain it. Yes, we can, we can tell. So. Can't you see the smile on that, this man's face? Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's like a creepy uncle. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, if it's been a couple of months, so if you don't know our voices, I'm Joe. I'm Josh. I'm Nicholas. I'm Brian. So, and yes, we are getting to do a, another fun interview because we really enjoyed it the first couple of times we did it. And so we're here talking to Chris Mahan. Chris, say hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Uh, any, well, thanks any for talking to us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, uh, for, thanks time for out. coming on. So, so let's go ahead and get started. So, uh, just uh, give us a little info on your background as far as far as where you were born and raised, and you know, <clears throat> things growing up, and uh, then tell us about how you ended up getting into martial arts to begin with. Sure. So, um, I am born and bred in Virginia. I grew up in the northern neck of Virginia. Um, really small town called Farnham, Virginia. I always tell people when they ask me where I'm from, it's Farnham. Warsaw is the next biggest town. Then Tappahannock, Virginia. And if you haven't heard of those three, it's Richmond, Virginia is the next place. (laughs) (laughs) I've spent the majority of my life though so far in Richmond now, um, at this point, at this age. Um, Yeah, so that's where I'm from. Between two rivers, Potomac and the Rappahannock in the northern neck. Virginia. You said Farnell, not Farmville, right? Farnham, Virginia. Farnham, Virginia. It's like one of those like north, you know, eastern towns. You got to pronounce like they have up, up north. Uh, Worcester, not Worcester. It's Worcester. Worcester. Something like mm-hmm. that. Like Worcester sauce. I was gonna try to avoid that, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a lot of watermen there, so it's we speak really. Even though it's a southern state, right? Virginia, mm-hmm. we speak really fast in the northern neck for some reason. 
but it's very country. <laughs> we, we get rid of all the endings on our words, so it's something and nothing and Farnham. It's really smooth and fast. I don't really enunciate everything super, super clearly. Okay. Well, look at the person here with a funny accent is Joe, so I mean. Because <laughs> I'm from the Northeast. Pretty much. Watch. Yeah. Which Josh, you're not allowed to imitate. Shut up. Yeah, Drysdale. No, you've already been banned from doing <laughs> accents of any kind. Doesn't <laughs> matter what. I'm just gonna just read. <laughs> I'm just read my notes. That's cool. So, I'm just read my notes. Just right, go so, anyway. All right. So, when about did you start training in uh, martial arts? I know you've done other styles besides jiu-jitsu. So go ahead and just start from the beginning and kind of take us up to where what you're training in now. Okay. Sounds good. So. Um, I, so I, I've been training in some sort of martial art consistently since the age of 11. So I remember uh, my father kind of coaxed me into starting a uh, Taekwondo karate slash karate class at a local community college in my hometown. He told me he had, al- he had always wanted to do some sort of martial arts growing up and didn't have the opportunity. Um, he convinced me to go in and try it, and he said, if you like it, I'll join you next semester. Because it was done on, you know, by semester at a community college, right? So I only had class like a couple times a week. Um, so I, I uh, started Taekwondo at age 11. And um, after that first semester, honestly, I was kind of bored with it and I almost quit. Uh, but one of my uh, best friends was the only uh, teenager in uh, the class, actually. Well, he was 12, almost 13, and I was 11, and everyone else was an adult. So he convinced me to come back. His parents actually talked to my parents and said, you know, have Chris come back one more class or one more semester and give it a try because it would be really good for our son to have someone in there with him that is his age. And so I did. And that very first night back that next semester, it was like we sparred for the very first time. And so I just kind of after that, I kind of fell in love with it, fell in love with the martial arts, with Taekwondo at that time. And uh you know, stayed with Taekwondo for 15 years, um, ended up getting a third degree black belt in Taekwondo, um, and then it was time to go off to college, and, you know, I I went to the University of Virginia, and they had a huge student body, so, I mean, all kinds of clubs you could think of, it was crazy, I mean, we, you know, any kind of martial arts training you wanted to do there in a club environment, and there were even clubs that were just a mix of anybody from any style that wanted to get together and spar and train, and so... That was awesome. I got exposed to a lot of stuff there. Um, and I actually switched and started this style called Nahate Karate under a guy named uh, Jim Ennis, who um, ran um, an academy in town, not affiliated with the University of Virginia. It was it was something, the stairway um, in the town of Charlottesville was the name of the place. Um, I can't remember that now. But uh, he unfortunately actually eventually um, ended up killing himself um yeah so uh, i ended up getting a um, another degree or second degree black belt in that style of karate called nahate karate i don't really mention it a whole lot because you know some of uh that guy's stuff was a little bit suspect (laughs) you know found out a little Mm. while later but anyway it was still really good training you know he was a really smart guy he was an adjunct professor at uva and you know, very cerebral guy and was really into martial arts. So, uh, you know, I think he kind of tried to start his own system of martial arts, but he had a fund of, a foundation in Taekwondo prior to this style of Nahate Karate. Anyway, so I usually leave that part out, but it was an interesting part of my life <laughs> there at, at UVA. So anyways, 15 years in Taekwondo primarily, and um, 
then I, I moved to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina um, after graduating from college. You know, that was the first time, you know, around 93, 94, first time I was exposed to the UFC and um, actually started training with some guys who are still around in Raleigh now. They run a place called Forge Fitness in Gracie, Raleigh, and uh, we used to train in Hillsboro, North Carolina, one time a week on Sundays for four hours when I first started jiu-jitsu. Mm. Wow. And we trained with those guys. Um, and shout out to Jason Colbreth. Actually, was one of my first jiu-jitsu instructors. He owns, owns Forged Fitness in Raleigh, North Carolina, and just won the Worlds, uh, Masters Worlds, at his uh, belt rank and age group. So, yeah, that's that's cool. yeah really good guys down there, man. They were really closely associated with Hoist Gracie and Elio Gracie, and uh, they used to bring those guys into Fort, uh, I think it was Fort Bragg, you know, and mm -hmm. exposed North Carolina to jiu-jitsu a lot, you know. So anyway, I had a good time training with them. That was my first taste of jiu-jitsu. And then I moved back to Richmond and uh, really didn't find a place for about six months to train. So that my whole life I've been training since in some sort of martial art since age 11, and six months was about the most time I took off um, when I moved back to Richmond, Richmond from Raleigh, North Carolina, because I didn't want to go back into Taekwondo. And I really liked the jiu-jitsu, and it took me a while to find a place. So I did find a, an affiliate here in Richmond that was um, associated with um, Frank Gucci, the Lynx Academy, but they were all under Pedro, Professor Pedro Sauer and that Hicks and Gracie line of jiu-jitsu. And so I trained there for a while, ended up getting uh, testing from our purple belt under Pedro Sauer uh, while he was there. It was an awesome experience. Um, <laughs> so uh, after that... Um, you know, I just had a desire to do things in a, in a different way and wasn't really um, satisfied or happy with the level of instruction and training I was receiving at this affiliate academy. So I'd always run into Gustavo Machado at tournaments around the area. And I just, you know, when I was ready to kind of branch out and take a risk and do something on my own, I uh, sought out Gustavo. Um, he always seemed like such a great guy. His students, you know, seemed to love him really loyal. Uh, he was always there for him and he actually, uh, one of his students and, and Gustavo spent some time with me at a tournament even though I wasn't on their team actually helping me out with a, te a technique after um, seeing one of my matches and so that's why I kind of, Gustavo was the first person that popped into my mind and um, I've been training with Gustavo since 2003 so I went from new purple belt all the way to now second degree black belt under Gustavo Machado and Gord, Roberto Gordo Correa and, and that that lineage, that line of jiu-jitsu instructors and fighters. So almost 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, over 15 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. But um, and in there I also trained Muay Thai, you know, mm -hmm. for a good while too, on top of my striking. So um, because I've always kind of kept my feet into the striking stuff too. I think it's it's a lot of fun. I still really enjoy hitting pads and training like a fighter. And knowing how to stand up and strike and blend that in with jiu-jitsu if you ever need it for self-defense or ever have a desire to do MMA. It's, it's good to have a foundation, you know, in that as well. And um, like I said, I still enjoy it. So, um, But my love is jiu-jitsu. <laughs> i got to admit it, you know. So what actually made you switch from, you know, your taekwondo and your karate style backgrounds to jiu-jitsu? Was there any particular thing about it that just... Oh yeah, obviously like everybody from that that time, you know, back in the 90s when you 
just first were exposed to jujitsu. I remember sitting at home on uh, on break from on Thanksgiving break from college. I think it was around Thanksgiving that they had the first UFC in Charlotte um, in '93, if I'm correct. But anyway, if I'm wrong, it was still the first UFC I ever saw. <laughs> and I watched the whole thing, and I just still after watching it, I still couldn't believe like what I saw. I couldn't believe that. Hoist Gracie beat all of those guys, you know, and uh, I had spent so much time in Taekwondo and and sparring and everything, and I, you know, you just kind of see it on TV one time, it's like a one-off, and I, even then I thought like, eh, well, you know, he's not going to take me down, I mean, you know, that kind of mindset, so it took me a while to really get bitten by the jiu-jitsu bug and actually seek it out, but that's what happened, I mean, I saw um, the first UFC, and I it really intrigued me, and I was like, wow, that's amazing, I can't believe that you know, little guy made all those guys give up, and I'd never been exposed to any sort of grappling at that point, not even wrestling, so it was kind of hard for me to understand how that was possible, so I think that's kind of like what made me want to try it, and so when I moved, I broke away, you know, when I moved to Raleigh from Richmond, it was a good time to kind of like, oh, break away from, you know, my dedication to Taekwondo and just the stand-up stuff, and I just saw, I really couldn't find any good Taekwondo schools in Raleigh at the time that I could, that I knew of. So I sought out the jiu-jitsu and I found a place. And like I said, that was about a 45-minute drive to Hillsboro, North Carolina from Raleigh just to train one time a week, four hours on a Sunday. Wow. So, it sucks if you had to miss it too. Oh, right? yeah. And you totally get wrecked because it was like four straight hours, mm -hmm. you know, of jiu-jitsu on carpet. We didn't even – we had one 10 oh, by God. 10 wrestling mat. <laughs> so it was like a treat to rotate down the sparring line and end up the pair on the on the – that and then you had to rotate back off onto the carpet in an aerobics room so but anyway that's that's what got me into jiu-jitsu i mean i just saw it and I, I you know like i said i wanted to experience it for myself but from what i saw on tv i was like wow that's incredibly just good just like yeah. you know and the grappling just seemed a lot more instinctive you know and i honestly i'd had a um like a situation in, in college after uh, graduating during beach week where I, I was jumped by a bunch of guys in a, in a fight with a couple of my friends um, in the town um, during beach week and, and we were in um, North Myrtle Beach and uh, you know I, I did okay I didn't get hurt and there were a lot of people on just me and one other guy um, but one of the very first things that happened to me was I got sucker punched stumbled and another huge guy just double legged me and picked me up and slammed me on the right next to a parking block on a road mm. and uh you know it was just a eye opener that all this sparring and all this taekwondo and all this striking i had done how hard it was to really hit someone and actually pull off your your strikes in a real fight at least that was my experience you know mm -hmm. even kicking a guy in the groin i mean i kicked this one guy super hard in the groin and he I remember seeing his feet come off the ground, and as soon as his feet hit the ground, he just steamrolled me and, uh, and tried to double. He got his hackles up. Oh yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, you know, that was another reason I'd been had a little taste of reality when it comes to like, oh yeah, if I ever have to use Taekwondo, I'm gonna do my spinning back kick, which I love. <laughs> and you guys know that. You know, and even just simple punching was hard. It's it's hard to really hit somebody, you know, when they're trying to hit you back and they're not trained and smooth and like mm -hmm. you are when you're sparring, you're going against another trained person and they're kind of predictable a little bit. So you know, sometimes it's actually easier to land strikes on somebody that has timing and rhythm, and you can pick up on that. And these guys are just, you know, wailing on me, multiple people at once, and 
you know. So anyway, that's what got me into jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned seeing Hoist Gracie, seeing him compete in the the first UFCs, yeah. and that definitely guy. Were there any other icons that kind of maybe influenced you, not just uh, you know in Taekwondo, but in jujitsu as well? that just maybe you kind of looked up to as you were training and moving up? Man, I mean, almost everybody at that point, you know, because back in that day, I mean, there was, to see a blue belt around was amazing. Mm. I mean, I remember going to a tournament in North Carolina where there was a purple belt match. A guy from Brazil was visiting, and he was a purple belt, and one of Gustavo Machado's um, students was a purple belt, and uh, they had a feature match, and the whole tournament stopped just for that just for that match. Mm-hmm. Like, we had a tournament going. Everyone stopped. It was time for the feature match. Okay. Two purple belts. But anyway, I mean, I've trained with a lot of uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu, um, like, you know, leaders or people that... Pioneers. Pioneers. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, seminar-wise, I've done Horse Gracie, Horler Gracie, Kaike Elias, um, Luis Heredia. Uh, gosh, who else... Uh, well, of course, all the people we got exposed to through Gustavo, mm-hmm. so Gustavo Machado, Roberto Correa. I've trained with, uh, done seminars with um, Gregor Gracie, Igor Gracie, Alice Gracie Jr., um, Clark Gracie. Uh, one of my first seminars was with Ricardo Almeida. Uh, no way. Henzo Gracie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Actually, it's funny. I was just showing um, a new one of our new students uh, an ankle lock escape. When the guy's standing and you're on the bottom and he grabs your ankle and tries to do a standing ankle lock that Hikaru Ameda showed at one of the first seminars of, I ever did. <laughs> so, yeah, that actually stuck in my mind pretty well, obviously, because that was back in 96. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jacare Cavalcanti, not not the Jacare that is fighting in the UFC, but the, the leader of Alliance down in Atlanta. I trained with him at Fort, uh, well, did a seminar with him at um, Fort Bragg in North Carolina. So man, I got exposed to a lot of a lot of people just because you had to do that back then because there was there were no really legitimate ranking jiu-jitsu instructors anywhere. So you really had to want it and you really had to seek it out, you know, yeah. to get good training. So yeah. Turn it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I know you've done a lot of several competitions mm-hmm. so i assume you, you like doing the competitions yes i love competing actually so, you what, know i wish i could do it more but you know as you get older and i'm more focused on teaching and i have an academy to run it's hard and i feel like you know competing you have to spend a little more time being um stingy you know mm-hmm. and getting yourself ready and it's it gets harder to do that man the older you get but i competed a lot as a what I consider a lot compared to what I do now when mm-hmm. I was coming up through the ranks, yes. So how many um, competitions have you have you done? Like? Oh, man, I don't know how if I can give you a number of competitions I've done, but, you know, for... Maybe for, just, like, different organizations. Yeah, so different. I've done Naga, I've done Grappler's Quest. I mean, we used to drive to <clears throat> Grappler's Quest all the time in New Jersey. We would leave, you know, I say we, like some of my, you know, good friends that are still training, and I... Um, Used to leave on a Friday night at 5.30 and drive all the way up to Bayonne, New Jersey, spend the night, get up, weigh in in the morning, get breakfast, go back, do the tournament on a Saturday, and drive back on a Sunday morning. You know, and that was like a big deal. Like every three, every six months, you would get to go do Grappler's Quest, right? Mm-hmm. So I did the normal Grappler's Quest, the Copa Atlanticas, the Grappler's Quest Worlds, <clears throat> Naga. 
IBJJF. I've done a ton of IBJJF tournaments, a lot of small tournaments. Um, most of the small ones I've done were probably done in North Carolina, like uh, the Bud Cup, uh, Quest for the Holy Grail was one that was like really tiny. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, I can't Did name you really all get the of Holy them. Holy Grail or... out of that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I only got second, man. I only oh, got second. I got, I, got... <laughs> I got second in my division. <laughs> so, someone, so you got a second place silver medal and someone got the actual Holy, Holy Grail. Grail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never saw the Grail. <laughs> of course oh, they still That's missing. probably why there wasn't that many people there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like, real. There's no real Grail. <laughs> <Right>. yeah, this <laughs> is bullshit. Still missing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've done a lot of competitions and I do really enjoy competing and like you know me from an instructor standpoint mm-hmm. like I support people that want to compete we don't force it on people I realize there are a lot of people that have a lot of stuff going on you know and not everybody likes to compete or likes going through that that process mm-hmm. but to me more than winning the competition um, is the whole benefit you get just the process of getting ready for a competition? Mm-hmm. It, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed when we have somebody competing or a group of people competing, it boosts the academy. Even the people that aren't aren't competing get excited because they're helping the people that are competing roll, and you kind of change your mindset a little bit when you know you're, you know, getting ready for a competition and helping people get ready. So I think it's more than the co- competition itself, man. It's just that process improves you, like. The process in the academy improves you, it makes you get better, right? Mm-hmm. So you go to the tournament, maybe you win, maybe you don't. But man, coming back to roll after doing a tournament, I don't know. I always felt like I'd, I'd leaped up, you know, leapt up a little bit in uh, skill level or just comfort level rolling in the academy when you go through that stress of competing at a tournament in front of people and then you come back and roll with the tough guy in your academy. You're kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, it's not that bad anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. So, so what do you normally do to when to, to get ready for a competition? Um, I mean, it depends on the competition, how much time you've got and everything. But, you know, I think we all, I don't know about, you know, you guys, because, I mean, you train just as hard as I do. I mean, I try to maintain a really high level of fitness consistently throughout the year. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like, like, okay, I've got a competition in two months and I haven't been training but once a week for the last eight months and now I'm going to go do a competition, so i got to come in more. I kind of, I mean, I like to stay ready, at least 80 or 90% ready all the time. So, like, maybe eight weeks out, start just changing the way I grapple a little bit more, Mm -hmm. drilling more, sparring harder, and with less rest in between rounds, especially at the initial part of training. And then maybe, you know, as you get within a week or two of um, the tournament, like, backing off just a little bit and kind of just refine things and not risk getting hurt or... You know, being so beaten up when it's time for the competition that you don't, like, you don't feel like you can move. Kind of like I felt for the Charlotte competition. <laughs> <laughs> With my aching groin pull and my my uh, glute injury. <laughs> I had to motor through on that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I and when I used to compete more, too, I would actually do a lot more outside of the studio than I do now. Just because I don't have as much time now, mm-hmm. but I also feel much more technically proficient than I was then. So I used to run and lift and do body weight exercises and sprints and in anticipation of the tournament and then do that outside of the studio and including training mm-hmm. in here. Oh, wow. But now I, just, I really feel like, man, you know, if you keep a high level of fitness, like the most important thing is the grappling part to get ready. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, 
I'm not gonna yeah. be I'm not gonna be running miles at the tournament and grappling, so yeah. you know. But nothing else that puts up with your cardio and your endurance. And yeah. Right. But you're right. I mean, grappling is the most important right. part. Right. And I don't thing. need to run eight miles. I mean, you know, my match is five minutes, so. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't do ten minutes. You don't do ten minutes. Unless you could do that eight miles in five yeah, minutes. Yeah, right. You know? Exactly. Then, yeah, go exactly. for it. So you, you know, your your matches are are they ten minutes or? Well, if you're doing the adult division, 18 up, your match as a black belt would be 10 minutes, yeah. Okay. But if you're fighting in masters or seniors, it's going to be five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. But yeah, that, that, that's not, And I've done both. Like, I've yet. done the full, like, for example, at, at black belt, like, I've done full, I mean, brown belt, I've, you know, I've done the adult division as a brown belt, you know, when I'm like mm-hmm. 38 or 39 going against guys that are 18 and above and having to do the full eight minute rounds. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, you do it in here all the time when you're training. So it's not much different other than you've got somebody that's technically proficient, who's younger, who can maybe, <laughs> you know, keep that quick pace for the whole time versus right. you needing to be a little bit smarter about how you exert yourself, you know? Yeah, but you're, you're just in the regular division. You're not to the senior division yet. No, right. I'm in the senior division. It depends on the tournament. <laughs> right. Nick, why are you trying to kiss Aster in the air? Extra stripe. Yeah, I mean, you know, black belt and you're doing the open division, I mean, the regular divisions, you're pretty much competing against professional athletes that just mm. don't get paid like professional athletes, you know? So, especially at lightweight. I mean, I'm a lightweight guy, and mm-hmm. usually lightweight, featherweight, middleweight, I mean, are some of the most stacked divisions there are, you know? Nice. So, most competitive. A lot of, lot of people in those divisions. So. Any, any good um, competition stories that you like? Uh, as far as what? Like... There's like, like any interesting match. Uh, like, you know, I know you and experience that, stands that I've out. had personally. Yeah. Or just like, I know one, you maybe an experience Dave. that stands out above a lot of the times you have competed. Just or I know like you that. and Dave uh, have uh, gone gone out to California to compete a couple times, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Well, I mean, of course, like, so, you know, I would say, I guess the biggest highlight of my career competing was when I, I, I won a silver medal at the Pan Ams. Right back in that's been a while ago now. Back in I think it was 2007, and so you know I just decided I'd never done a big IBJJF tournament ever, and I wanted to do it. And no one at the academy wanted or wasn't available to do it, or just didn't want to do that because it was in California, right? So I mean I just decided I was going to go do it, and I, I you know trained and went to Gustavo's and trained and trained with my students here. And I just flew out to California on a Friday, made weight on Saturday right before my match, competed in the in the tournament, and took the red eye home that night and got back to Richmond at 10 in the morning on Sunday. And um, I uh, I went out there by myself, and I was like, I got nothing to lose, no pressure, no one knows me. If I, if I suck, you know, yeah. no one's going to see it. And I was like, what happened to Chris? <laughs> but I ended up, man, I ended up, you know, uh, winning two out of three, making it to the finals against a guy who's uh, a real cool guy. He owns an academy down in Buckhead, uh, Atlanta. Uh, I think it's Buckhead BJJ, uh, Sam Joseph. I met him in the finals. And uh, he beat me on points, and um, but I beat a guy, Max Masazawa from Tokyo, Japan, who is an affiliate under Hoist Gracie. Um, I ended up getting matched with him in the second round and, and beat him. And then I can't remember the first guy I got matched up against, but I remember it was funny. Um, 
I was really nervous about him because he was uh, I looked him up, you know, to see who he was, and he was like the takedown coach for Pedro Sauer Academy out in Utah, and uh, ended up winning that match by taking him down. So I kind of thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that there. was funny, you know? So it was kind of an accomplishment. I mean, nothing spectacular happened. It was just like, hey, you know, I was nervous. I went out there by myself with no support at, while I was there, you know, did the tournament. I mean, besides just doing the tournament, when you go to a place like that, you got the travel, the transportation, you know, the make it and weight. what belt rank was this? This was a uh, brown belt. Okay. But the funniest part about it, <laughs> so I called Gustavo. I was so psyched. I'd just gotten, you know, finished my last match. And I'm like, hey, Gustavo, this is Chris. I just got a silver in the brown belt division. Thinking, yeah, he's going to give me my black belt. <laughs> and Gustavo goes, oh, that's nicey, my friend. Now go win the open division. <laughs> Call me back later. <laughs> he said, fuck yourself, bitch. <laughs> so I, I was like, okay, Gustavo. And then, I hung up the, and then I hung up the phone and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing the open division. I got to get on the red eye. <laughs> I got to go home. <laughs> right. So anyway, that was the fun, that awesome. was a funny story. That's good. That is, that is awesome. But the whole Pan Am thing, you know, those big tournaments like that are just such an experience. It's not just um, I try to when I try to recruit people to go with me. I'm like, hey, man, who cares if you win or lose? Just put on a good fight, and then you've got three days of like, you know, sure. Jiu-Jitsu Wonderland, man. Yeah. Like all this, you know, all the top Jiu-Jitsu guys are out there. They're really accessible. You can walk up, and say hey to somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get an autograph, take a picture, or you're just immersed in jiu-jitsu for four days, you know? Yeah. As my friend Ryan said when he went out to one of uh, the Pan Ams in California, he said, he was like, I saw Andre Galvao there, he was begging to take a picture with me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure he was, man. But it was cool because because a lot of my friends went out there and they saw, like, Andre Galvao, Kurt Ossi, oh, yeah. all the big names. Especially yeah. in California, which is, like, the mecca for jiu-jitsu these days, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy because, you, you know, you come along, like I said, from, I've been doing this forever now, and it seems like, and... You, got, you know, you're watching all these people on video and magazines and the internet and you're watching their instructional tapes and stuff. And and then you go out there and they're just like standing right next to you coaching mm-hmm. their guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, hey, what's up? And the funny thing is, too, is you get to see these top guys, you know, like 50% of the people in a tournament like that lose in the first round. So you're like watching top guys that you're like watching and idolizing on and trying to emulate, you know, by watching mm-hmm. their videos. And then you like – Jeez, man, I just saw Cron Gracie lose to Sergio Moraes, you right, know? Yeah. <laughs> Not to pick on that. <laughs> I mean, that was an awesome, you know, I, I was there for that, and that was an awesome match to watch. So the point is, you get to see a lot of cool things, a lot mm-hmm. of cool matches. Watch the guys that you're trying to emulate go against each other, and, and the crowd is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a soccer game, man. Yeah. You know, they're waving their flags and singing the Brazilian chants. And, without without you know, those very, horns. No horns. Yeah. I haven't I seen any or heard any. <laughs> uh, what, just one last question about the competition because we talk about uh, a lot of the MMA stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had a little bit of experience with MMA. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do bring that up. Okay, so here's the thing. So <laughs> this before, is never good. before I even got into jiu-jitsu, I had some pretty good fights, right? So not full-on MMA fights, but I I fought in WTF style, like you know, full contact sport, Taekwondo too. Um, and I've been knocked out in that and put on the ground by full contact shots in that. So 
Um, it's not just MMA where you get that kind of stuff. You know, I have done a lot of competitions and other things too. Um, but I did do, like, I just got a new purple belt and I did decide I wanted to try before I got, you know, older. Back then I thought 30 was old, right? So I was like, oh, I'm married now. I might have a kid one day. I should do this before I get it out of my system. So I did an MMA fight. I lost the fight. Um, but so first 30 seconds of my first MMA fight, um, I got, I shut the guy off and got to his back and sunk in a rear naked choke and the guy rolled out of the ring. We were in a ring and I wouldn't let it go. And he rolled completely out of the ring and the audience caught us and held us up and pushed us back. In the <laughs> ring. <laughs> so it was old school, man. And then, um, few seconds later, man, I ended up with the guy, my guard, guard caught an arm bar on the guy. My leg was caught in the rope. We were oh. in, we were in his corner and I was cranking on the arm bar and I couldn't figure out why he wasn't tapping because he wanted to win. Right. <laughs> and so I, I heard break, 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 you know, and you know, I've never done that before. So I was under a lot of stress and, you know, a lot of people screaming and yelling. Um, and so the ref came over at the same time, the guy's corner was yelling break. It wasn't the ref. It was the guy's corner. And the ref had grabbed my foot and the rope, and he was undoing my foot from the rope so I could try to finish the armbar. And I heard break, and I let go. Oh. And then the ref actually yelled at me for letting go. He's like, you don't listen to anybody but me. Don't ever let go of anything unless I tell you to. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm so. Anyway, long story short, I got, I got an excuse. This is telling you how I I, sh I, I thought I was going to win the match. This uh, is the up and down of the match. This is why you lost. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I did the fight. A week before the fight, I could barely breathe. I was sitting at, at my desk in my office, my office job, having problems breathing. And I'd been training through a bad cold and, and a continuous cough. And I ended up getting diagnosed a week before my fight with... Full-blown bronchitis. Yeah. They gave me a Z-pack a week before, and I told the doctor I had a fight this weekend, and he laughed and said, I don't know. <laughs> That's your call, but the Z-pack's going to knock you out. So the night before the fight, the weigh-ins, I actually finished my last Z-pack steroid pill. And so, you know, I went out really hard in the first part of the fight trying to finish it because I knew my wind was really bad, and mm -hmm. I missed the two opportunities, and then I... Just kind of got gassed and got caught in a bad position by this guy and got submitted. Ended up getting submitted. So, um, but that was my that was my one. Like, let's try MMA and see <laughs> my official MMA right. kind of fight. But I learned a lot, and you know that's kind of one thing I wish I had maybe done a little bit more. But you know I came along a little as you know a little bit older by the time. Mm -hmm. You know I mean if I could have the knowledge and the skill and stuff I have now and be like. 25 or 26 or you know between 25 and 30 maybe it w i would love to do it and you know if there was an old man mma <laughs> division, like you know if you could do like 40 plus mma i mean they you know, have that well, anyway. there, there are fights that are up that there now coming seniors just... fight league right yeah. well i mean i'd be willing to go with dan henderson but he's a little He's a little, little, he's a little beaten up. Now. Yeah, <laughs> he's not as big as he once was. He's off the TRT. Right. Right. He's on the TRT. Oh, Lee, I love Dan Henderson, man. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> great American hero. Yes. No, but anyway, you know, I lo I like MMA. I mean, you know, and like I've been training my whole life, stand up and jujitsu, and I feel like God, that's the kind of person you you want to be to be doing MMA, even an amateur nowadays. You know, because everybody, an amateur knows. 
jiu-jitsu now. It wasn't like, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago where amateur, it was like a jiu-jitsu guy versus a guy who had no jiu-jitsu at all. Even mm-hmm. in amateur, people are really well-rounded now. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I tell guys here that want to do it, like, man, you need to spend some time and get really um, good at one thing, at least a good foundation before you just jump in. Because even now we get guys that walk into school and they're like, hey, I just want to... You know, I just want to do so MMA fight. in six months. Can you get me a fight? And I'm like, yeah, we can get anybody a fight, man. Right. You the know. question is, are you ready for exactly. it? Exactly. And it's fight. dangerous. It's dangerous. Say what? I want to fight. Okay. It's fun. Yeah. Nick, we would have to put you in the 102-pound division. <laughs> <laughs> I.e., that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah only, only, only have like a kid's just like kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nick, I hear Jessica Khan's putting on their gloves. Oh. <laughs> 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 you better be careful what you ask for, buddy. Oh, oh, man. Uh, blow, blow from behind. Hey, we can do a rematch. Right. That'd be fun. Lots of shade out there, man. <laughs> uh, Was that your question, though, about MMA? Is that what you wanted to know? Yeah, if we just want to know about it, just because yeah. it's something different. From yeah. I've got it on yeah. video, and every once in a while, I'll like watch it myself, and I... And I Can we put it on before our, I get submitted? I'm like, that just pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, but it was one of those things, man. I mean, it was just one of those things. Part of me kind of wishes I'd jumped right in and done another one really quick, but you know, just this wasn't in the cards, man. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna do one, that was one to do because I came out pretty much unscathed and didn't get hurt or anything like that. I had a little bit of a sore shoulder, but um, from getting slammed. But other than that, it was a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and it was funny. You want to talk about ex- things that stick out in your mind. So as we're getting warmed up, right, <laughs> it was held at the National Tattoo and Biker Convention. <laughs> so I had to walk through, down the down the road, behind the stage, up on a podium, and out the, the catwalk. You know, and there's all these bikers and tattoo people. We had to walk through the bikes, weave through the bikes, behind the stage, and come out, you know. God forbid you knock one over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was just a real shady, like, promotion in an old fairgrounds um, building. And I had to wait for the guy. As I'm, they called me up, I'm standing there. I still didn't have gloves on. No one said I had to wrap my hands, so I didn't wrap my hands. Mm. And so um, I had to wait for the guy before me to come out to give me his gloves after his fight. And I had to put my gloves on and really quick. We had to share gloves. And oh, wow. the guy oh, the guy coming off, he got his butt kicked and his eye was like huge and swollen shut. <laughs> and he's like, oh, good luck, man. Hope you, hope you have better luck than I do. And he like threw the gloves at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just remember that, you know. I was like, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's one of those things where you climb in and you wanted to do something really bad, and it, by the time you get there, not because it was a fight, but just because of the environment and the atmosphere, the people that were there, you're kind of like, "Am I really here in this ring right now? <laughs> and why am I here?" <laughs> you know? That's funny. It was a pretty seedy crowd, awesome. man. Yeah. Humble beginnings. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. So that's um, awesome. So Chris. Um, yeah. So when did you decide to open up your own school, and uh, what? allowed you to accomplish that goal um so i decided like i said earlier like um right after i'd gotten my purple belt you know i just kind of knew that i wasn't really happy about the the affiliate that i was training with um 
for a variety of reasons, and I don't like to talk negatively about anybody, so I don't even want to go into that. But I just felt like, you know, I was so, like, in love with jiu-jitsu. I just felt like I kind of wanted to train a different way and train the way I wanted to train and get better exposure um, to, like, real jiu-jitsu. So, um, 2003, I decided to start laying the, laying the groundwork to open my own place, and that's when I reached out to Gustavo Machado, and I was traveling down there on a pretty regular basis and training with him. All right, so how did you, how did you come up with the name of the, of the school? Top Game of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, obviously Top Game, I like the passing game. I like pressure, you know? I mean, I, I love playing on the bottom, too, but I just, I just like the idea of, like, the smashing passes and the top pressure and being on top seemed to me to be more like, you know, a winning. Yeah, yeah we know that pretty well. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> a winning combination. But what's, what's funny, though, is, like, I actually started a, a gi and clo- MMA and jiu-jitsu clothing company, like everybody's doing now. I thought about doing that, and, I you know, so I was getting gis and stuff like that manufactured in Pakistan for a really short period of time. And um, I was looking for a name, and so I came up with Top Game Sports, Top Game Brand, and... And you know, I decided not to do that anymore. That was a real, to me, a pain in the ass. And uh, so I used that name to just uh, carry over to the Jiu-Jitsu Academy. So, nice. you know. Not as epic as I thought it would be. Right. But that's, uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Very that, straightforward. But that's right, where, yeah. yeah, that's where it came from, man. And, you know, I mean, to me, there's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, right? And then there's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if you're one of those old school guys who kind of came from that 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 age of, you know, the, the old, salty, you know, jiu-jitsu family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, Chris Mayhem, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, <laughs> doesn't sound as cool as Gracie jiu-jitsu or Gustavo Machado, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or, you know, somebody that's more closely aligned with the, the core you know, family right. jiu-jitsu, right? You know? So I, I, I wanted a, a name, not my name, you know, because, I mean, I'm just a guy who loves jiu-jitsu and likes to train and wants to get better just like everybody else. I just wanted to start an academy so that I know we could get good training, whether that was going to always come from me or, like, being able to bring in other people or right. being under a really good person like Gustavo Machado that we had access to a lot more than I would have being under someone else who's, you know, um, just not in the country. Or, I mean, Gustavo, you know, grew up at Gracie Baja in Brazil with Henzo and all these guys and, you know, um, is here in Virginia Beach, two hours away from us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, that's pretty cool, you know, yeah. pretty amazing. You know, so we can go drive to his gym and train. Yeah, right, like, train so. with him whenever you want. We can get him in here whenever we want. You know, we can train at any of his affiliates. He's legit. He's got great connections with all of the old school jiu-jitsu guys and the majority of great seminars and great training I've had uh, – have been at his academy. I mean, where else could I mean, you know, remember when we got to go train uh, with Hafa um, dos Anjos, right? Yep. <laughs> that was awesome, right? Unfortunately, he's not there for that. Right. That awesome. You missed out. Man. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a good seminar. You know? It was. Or Gustavo calls me on a Thursday night and says, hey, Gregor Gracie and Igor Gracie are in town. They're going to be parachuting in Virginia Beach. Can you host a seminar for them at your school? And I'm like, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Was there? Absolutely. Yeah. That was excellent. That yeah. was awesome. Absolutely. So, or we had Gordo here, you know? I mean, I was there for that. <laughs> that was amazing. So, you know, a lot of reasons. So, what are, are some of the day to day difficulties you have with running school? 
Um, mostly it's time for me just because um, I would like to put a lot more focus on it than I even do. And when push comes to shove, it's almost like I have two full-time jobs, right? So, you know, like I said, I'm older now. The school has grown, so we're open more than I used to be. I used to be able to split my time up between training at Gustavo's or going down there when I could and only being open a couple, two or three nights a week. But now we're open seven days a week. So I've got the school is really taken off. I have a wife and, you know, two kids and a full-time job on top of the school. So the biggest challenge for me is, you know, just managing my time really well. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And it would be awesome to do this full-time, <laughs> you know? Shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I guess I could, but you got to take, you know, I would have to take that risk. To do it, and you know, I've got other obligations right, for the family to think of and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, if I had a big windfall and had a bunch of money and and stocked away, then you know, taking a risk like that would be easier. But you got to keep a living while you're trying to. Well, if you had taken school. that risk too, you would have your degree, and you could always fall back on that. Yeah. In the future, if it didn't work out, but it's still like. Yeah. It'd still be like a huge risk. But on a positive note, with the way I'm doing it, I I like the fact that. You know, even though it's a legitimate business and it takes a lot of work, still takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of things that people don't see me do. They just see me come in and teach a class and roll with them and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, on a positive note is that it still feels like really fun and passionate to me. It doesn't feel like, oh, my God, you know, I lost two students this month. Uh, you know, that's income, you know, right. feeding my family with it, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. it, it sucks because it's like, well, you know, that affects your maybe your ability to pay rent or pay power bill or something like that it, i mean not really but i'm just saying like you know going like okay i've got another job if something happens to the, you know to the jiu-jitsu academy this month then i can mm. take a little money from that job and help with the you know yeah of course never have to do that but that's just my mindset with it it's mm. like it keeps the passion there for me and i love doing jujitsu, and i would never want it to become like oh an obligation like i feel like i have to be there and I think maybe if I, you know, I put myself under the pressure of just doing this full time for a while and still having to support my family, wife and kids, and and everything, and get this until I got this going and growing, it would be more stressful. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe one day this will be full time. <laughs> never say never. Right. But I would say that's the thing that people don't know about. You know, the most is that you know I do split my time between a lot of things. So it's yeah, mm -hmm. my life is always like. Sometimes it feels like I'm always rushing from one thing to the other, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. So what do you enjoy most about teaching? And uh, do you have any favorite techniques that you like to show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love everything about teaching, man. You know, I like seeing everybody get better. I like rolling with students and seeing them trying stuff that we've just taught or have, have been teaching. And they're trying to pull it off on me or watching them pull it off on other students while I'm sitting on the side watching people roll. Um. So, I, I mean, I, you know, I think you have to like everything about teaching or I couldn't do it the way I'm doing it, you know? I know people, I've had people help me teach before that have said, like, man, I'm glad you're back from vacation. I don't mind teaching, but I don't think I'd want to do it all the time. You know, some people just don't like to teach. The one thing I do like teaching, though, is it also is it help, it's I know it helps people get better themselves. Like, when you're teaching somebody, you have to really analyze what you're going to teach and be able to break it down. You know, I think so. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to know the details of the move yourself mm -hmm. because you never know what someone's going to ask you, or right. when you're out there trying to explain it. If you haven't done it a million times, you know, you're like, um, where do I put my hand? <laughs> you know. Right. So, I mean, it helps you become more technically 
proficient and more knowledgeable about jujitsu having to teach it. It probably helps too. You have other black belts here mm-hmm. that you can defer to in a case of you're not available or it's not technically you necessarily mm-hmm. know that well. Like, oh, go talk to mm-hmm. Dave or go talk to Engel. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, the way I, you know, I think any academy really is de- you're gonna gonna be a, it's got to be a group effort. Like, you gotta have a good environment. You gotta have good students and good helpers and you know. Um, you can't do. It. I, I mean, I know, especially doing it the way I'm doing it with two, basically two full-time jobs, you got to have people that are willing to help you out to make it successful. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes more than just one person mm-hmm. to make a good category. Sure. I mean, so what about what about techniques? Like, are there oh, any in particular you like techniques. to show your students? I mean, you call top games, so I'm sure you like a lot of that stuff. Yeah, the smash and pass. Yeah, I know you, I know I you mean, like that triangle that you always do. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny you said top game because I was about to say, yeah, my favorite is the triangle from the bottom. Mine <laughs> 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 <Hey>, too. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> No, I do like the triangle from the bottom, but I, I like uh, I like one of my favorite passes is the over under pass. I really like the over under pass a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I really like obviously the knee slice pass or the cut pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But man, I mean, I I try to use the old school like single stat double unders pass mm-hmm. a lot too. Yeah. Um, and there's so many things to talk about that I that I like about it. But I would say a pass that I use the most is probably the over-under pass, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and then the knee slice pass, the yeah. two I use the most. I've been trying to use the knee slice pass more these mm-hmm. days just because it's a quick one-two and then yeah. the other works yeah. or it doesn't. Yeah. So. And armbar. I mean, I love armbar from the bottom, you know. Mm-hmm. I especially like it because the more you train mm-hmm. with people, the more they're rolling with you, the more they get – uh, savvy to kind of like mm-hmm. what you're going to do so to be able to pull off the armbar from the bottom on somebody who knows it's coming and you can still get it mm-hmm. is kind of like a cool feeling you have to be more crafty with yeah, it or you're very technically you're so technically sound with it that they can't stop it right, right. so I mean because armbar can be a challenge people can defend armbar pretty quickly once they realize mm-hmm. like, you know what an armbar is about and yeah. that it's coming at them so. right. but I would say yeah I mean I would say the passing was over under a knee slice and then the bottom would be like the triangle choke. Yeah. Um, so what do you think makes someone a good instructor? Um, from from your, uh, whether it's a fellow student or, or somebody higher up, what, what do you think makes a, a good instructor? Well, I mean, I think the first thing you got to have is like, you got to really like jujitsu. I mean, you know, if you don't like teaching, mm-hmm. you don't, don't like what you're doing, then it's going to make teaching people you know, difficult, right? You can love competing and love rolling and smashing people all day and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, but if you don't like taking the time to help people mm-hmm. and show them, then you're not going to be a good teacher, right? So I guess patience and just love of jujitsu <laughs> first. But would you say that like love of teaching came with time? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, for me, it was kind of a necessity, right? Like, because mm-hmm. I said, oh, if I'm going to open up a school, then I'm going to have to be a teacher, right. <laughs> you know? Of course. And, and honestly, when you start, when you first, especially when you first start from cold turkey, like I did, I mean, you, you lose a lot of your rolling and sparring edge because you're starting with nobody to roll with, really, and, or very new people. So you, you're going to take a hit when you start teaching if that's all you're doing. Like mm-hmm. if you're the only one doing it, you, t- you definitely take a little bit of a hit in your like com- competition abilities and stuff, you know. 
But then you catch up. Like I said, I think then once you start teaching a lot, you start getting better technically because right. you're you're having to break it down and everything. And then you build your school. I mean, you know, everybody builds up around you, and you you kind of ride, raise each other up as mm-hmm. your school gets stronger and been around longer. That's a that's what's funny to me nowadays is like uh, you know, you get all these people just popping up and trying to start a jujitsu school and. Mm-hmm. Even now, like, oh, I'm going to go teach jiu-jitsu. Oh, hey, did you know that new jiu-jitsu school just opened up you know, three miles down the road or whatever? For us, it's the UFC gym not too far away. That It's like everybody <laughs> thinks it's really easy, show. man, but you yeah. got to spend a lot of time. you got to invest mm-hmm. a lot of time, energy, money, sacrifice personal time mm-hmm. to, to make it good, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, just wanting to help people, being technically sound with the techniques yourself. Um, being enthusiastic about teaching, being consistent. You know, I can tell you how many people I talk to or you hear of that, like, you know, class becomes more of like, hey, every class becomes more of like, let's just roll, right? Right. Let's just all spar. Let's, it's easy to say, let's not have the structure. So you got to stay structured, right? Because hold on, hold on. Why are you guys looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. We did not say a thing. Yeah. No, no. You didn't say. You guys looked at me like, like I'm a looking at us. Well, and the reason. Were you getting I, so defensive? Yeah. <laughs> I like the role. No, but the reason, in all seriousness, yeah. the reason I say that is because once things start breaking down too much into every class is like a role session always, or let's just mm-hmm. let's just spar. There's no teaching. There's no learning. Really. There's no like instruction of new technique, and unless you're that person's willing to just like take time and show you a lot of new things so mm-hmm. it just kind of becomes like let's just go in a roll all the time sure you know mm-hmm. so what are um, actually what are your current goals for your school uh, for the what are your current goals for the school like where do you see the school at in let's say three to four years from oh now? gosh man i mean i have a simple Simple desires, man, is just to see it still here and still flourishing with a lot of a lot of students of all ranks, sizes, age groups, mm. still with the doors open and training hard, man. I mean, like I said, I I didn't do that. I'm not doing this, God. I'm a God. If I were doing it for the money, I would have closed doors a long time ago. Just because, you know, like I said, I have a full time job. I do this as pretty much a second full time job, and I have a wife and kids, and it's been, it takes away from, I have to sacrifice a lot. It takes away from other areas of my life. So, if, you know, I'm not getting getting rich off of it. So, yeah. I, you know, I truly love doing it. You right. Know? I love training. I love teaching. Um, so just being open and having a good place for people to go to with good instruction and good affiliations, like with Gustavo and all of his connections, mm-hmm. is happy enough for me, man. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I make money off of it more than I did ten years ago. <laughs> um, so I'm not trying to paint this like picture like, oh, you know, <laughs> right. I only do it because I love it. I never break even or <laughs> make any money. I mean, you know, of course that part's nice, but my my main focus is like, all right. So if we got enough students and built up enough that I decided it would be worth it to move into a much bigger facility with more mat space, that would be fine for me. But it's not necessary, right? To me, I've always said, I think that's where people get in trouble. And it's like, from a business standpoint, and it's like, if we were packed every night, and every class was packed to the door, to the back of the room with students, and there was no no room to roll, then yeah, it would make sense to move. But, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, 
like you hear people talk about Brazil and their training facilities. Some of them are like half the size of our place now, and they've got UFC fighters training in those places. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't need yeah. the cage, you don't need the ring, you don't need, you know, necessarily mm-hmm. all of the fancy bells and whistles to have a good, solid place sure. to train, you know. So, just being around, man, that's my thing. Lots of places around here, as you, as you guys know, have closed, mm-hmm. you know, shut down to. or are closed to or, you know. Well, this is, now is the time of year that we get a lot of new people in here. We're always getting new people walking in the door, mm-hmm. uh, but just in this time of the year in general, because everyone's making that quick New Year's resolution, they're going to start training and getting better. What For new people coming in here who are thinking of coming in, or for people who are already here who are new, yep. what advice <clears throat> do you have for people who want to start their training? Uh, you mean that are here already? Yeah, or- here already, or thinking about doing it, or just in general, any advice you give to someone who's thinking about getting their jiu-jitsu life going? Um, I, I, man, the biggest thing is just the first step. You know, it sounds cliche, but I just tell people to do it. Give it a try. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand really what they're getting into at first. I mean, some do. Some come here and they're like, I want to sign up right now. I, I've always wanted to do jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. But some people, like, are afraid to do it, man, because it's got the, the feeling of, like, jiu-jitsu guys are tough. It's it's a really effective martial art, so mm-hmm. every class everyone's kicking your ass and you're getting smashed. Fuck yeah, we're tough. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's true, Some but I mean, though. but it's... <laughs> <laughs> I see a roll in We're here in the studio. Yeah, yeah we're going to get a roll after this. Well, if Brian Drysdale came in right now and said, I wanted to start training tomorrow, I would say, dude, get down on the mat and practice your shrimp. <laughs> 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 well, good night, everybody. It's been real. <laughs> <laughs> I, to, uh, I got some tires to slash and some houses to burn. That's, right? <laughs> That's an inside joke. <laughs> but some, anyway. uh, may, maybe some friends, maybe some friends at <laughs> some other schools I've trained with have noticed that they just never said anything <laughs> to me. And, See, uh, that's that's what makes you better, man. People have to tell you, yeah. like, what's not good. Yeah. Just keep trying your shrimp, man. <laughs> your shrimp is much better, man. Much better. I think that one night you were just off in La La Land. Ever, since, ever since then, we've been picking on you about your and I, it, Wait, it, look, I'll admit, it helps. I mean, <laughs> I can't deny that it's like I was listening to it, but it, 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 bullshitting every night, every night and giving me shit and I'm just laying there going god fucking damn it like, what's wrong with Drasdale what's he doing man and I'd just be sitting there going like I can't even like call them out because they're all better than me and there was some nobody who just walked in off the street like oh you shrimp like shit like hey why don't you and I roll afterwards we'll see who's shitty shrimping yeah uh, well but I would just say come in and try it, man. That's the first mm-hmm. thing. I mean, that's all you can do is like come in and just jump in and just, man, get on the mats and do it. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, what would, what advice would you have as somebody who's got a little bit up there in rank, maybe like purple brown mm-hmm. belt, uh, and they're looking to start their own school? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Well, no, I would say not around, not around just here. Not around yeah, here. Right. Right. If you I do could, it around here, better be affiliate of us. I could give you a couple key locations where I think you might do well around here. <laughs> Nobody shows up. <laughs> I had another thought there, but uh, maybe some people can read my mind. Oh, do share. Anyway, <laughs> no, I would say, man, if, if that's what you really think you want to do, and you're not, so 
yeah, and you're not happy where you are, then give it a try, man. But it's not easy, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, honestly, nowadays, unless you're in a really remote part of the country or in an area that just doesn't have training, good training and good options, I mean, most places have, you know, jiu-jitsu spread a lot now. So, I mean, is your a purple belt or a blue belt and you're thinking about opening a school but there's like eight black belts around town? Mm-hmm. Why would you want to do that? I mean, you know, to me that just says you're probably thinking you're going to make a ton of money right out of the gate on it, and it's going to be a windfall, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get, you know. <laughs> or it's an ego thing, mm-hmm. you know. And then bankruptcy. Yeah. Don't be that guy yeah. who, self, who self-promotes himself. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, but, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody not to do it. Mm-hmm. In a serious way, I wouldn't tell them not to do it. I might jokingly, seriously say not to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I mean, you gotta try things yourself, man. Yeah. I mean, people told me not to do it, or I'm sure people were like, "Why are you doing that?" You know? Yeah. And I did it. So, but you gotta be prepared to work, man, because it's not. It sure. Is, you know, like I've told these guys before, there were nights where I would stand at the door and look out the door, and no one would show up. Or we started off with five students, and three got hurt within the first six months. Just weird things. Nothing, nothing to do with training the way we were training. <laughs> wow! Now we're looking at Josh. No, Josh, wow. Josh wasn't even around to hurt people. Then. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're off the hook right now, Josh. I think that's if why he's been around at the start. You, you might not be open. To I know. I think that's why he left Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> There are no more schools uh, there. Sorry, man. I had to pass it on to somebody else. <laughs> I was getting picked on. <laughs> and those are freak injuries. Accidents, okay? I don't maliciously, maliciously hurt people. Yeah. Let's just, you know. Definitely not. Let's just chill. Yeah, well, Joe, if you want to feel guilty about it, feel guilty about it. I'm the one who told you not to. Well, Joe said you didn't hurt me. Yeah. Uh, I guess you were involved, though. That's about. <laughs> yeah, you could say that you were involved. I guess the uh, last thing we would ask you for the night, uh, yeah. which a little bit cliche, but I guess it kind of comes all down to like what personal philosophy comes to. What does it mean to you? What does it all mean to you? You get to training. What is what is the biggest thing that it has done for you overall, and how has it affected your life? Um. Yeah, that is cliche, man. Can we skip that one? I'm coming. It's really watching. deep, though. Yeah. yeah. It's harder to think. Jiu-jitsu is life. <laughs> <laughs> Without jiu-jitsu, there is no life. <laughs> we have, like, an altar in the back. Yeah. I just flow with the go. <laughs> flow with the go. <laughs> Somebody said that. I don't know. Flow with the go? Yeah. Hickson. Did Hickson so, say that? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody knows that, Drysdale. He said, slow it to go. <laughs> so we're in America. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I would say the coolest thing about jiu-jitsu, besides knowing how to really, you know, the technique and the, how to take care of yourself and fight and the competition aspect of it, if you like that, is just, man, the people you're around, think about it. I mean, we're sitting here on a Saturday night at 9 o'clock, like, doing a podcast and having a good time but yeah, just, right. just the people you get to train with man i mean you know you've got business owners and managers and doctors and lawyers and students students um, musicians i mean you know all training together on the mat and not even thinking about any of that crap that they have to deal with in their jobs and stuff every day and just getting better and having fun and 
shooting the shit after class and hanging out, you know, and just exchanging techniques, just talking about stuff, making sure. fun of Josh's cake, getting promoted before he does. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> no! <laughs> I, had to, I had to work that in. I was waiting for that one. Oh, my God. See, this was the secret reason why we brought Chris up here is we wanted him to mess with Josh. All right, all right, all right. So, so the thing about the cake is... <laughs> the cake is just better than you. Oh. It trains more. Oh, oh. oh. oh man. Oh, you know what? I Wait, you got to tell the story about that. I don't feel so bad now about the shrimping thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the cake and... Yeah. yeah, so most of the guys know that I love I love to eat, man. Even though my voice was here, I'm either eating, sleeping, working, or training. Uh, At least so, you got training in there. Yeah, so I like, got the nice training order. last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, training is last. I didn't know that's your voice, though, because I never want to call you. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, like my 31st birthday, so um, I got a. Chris, before I, I actually got the shape, when Chris was talking about getting a new gi, and Chris was like, dude, you see that one up like a tangy? I was like, dude, no, I didn't. Then I finally saw it, was like, that's the gi I'm getting. So I ordered it. The, the gi, that is, uh, through Awano, I still have the gi to this day. Um, flash forward a few months, a couple years, um, I ended up getting my, my blue belt um, when Gordo came in town. When uh, a couple months, about a year later, I got my, this was my 31st birthday, I wanted a cake. And I was like, man, I, want it. I want something cool. Nobody's uh, seen, done this. So I got a, uh, my black and tan Awano gi with the perfect stitching, with the blue belt made. And, uh, Chris saw the, the the actual cake. The post on the Facebook. The post on Facebook. Happy birthday, Josh. Yeah, it was like, happy birthday. Let me see if I can find it. Check out my Awano birthday cake. And uh, so Chris sarcastically says, you know, it's a shame that that cake will uh, get promoted to Purple Belt before you do. <laughs> <laughs> End message. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's something along those lines. It's right. A, uh, if, if not, I'll, I'll tag it and put it on our Facebook page um, uh, uh, so you guys can see, see what the whole inside joke is about. Um, but speaking of social media, Chris, um, how can we follow you on – do you have a, a page for the school or anything like that, social media? Yep. So the website is www.topgamebjj.com. On Instagram at topgamebjj. Uh, we have a Facebook page just for the school, um, Top Game BJJ, um, and Twitter at Top Game Academy. I think I have that correct, but they're all tied into my Facebook. I mean, to yeah, the uh, website. Yeah, so. we'll have the the links on our uh, mm-hmm. Facebook page. Yeah. Once we uh, get this all posted. Yeah. So. so. Yeah, man. Awesome. And you'll find Gustavo Machado stuff on there as well, along with all of the affiliate links. All of his affiliates mm-hmm. and linked up there. So, so right, very good, excellent. Well, nice. Chris, we very much appreciate you doing this. This, this was, was a blast. Yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I always, I always say like, oh, this is the best one we've done yet. Well, this is seriously the best one. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Best. Oh, stop! You <laughs> <laughs> have me back again. <laughs> 
So. Well, if nothing else, we need you back to make fun of Josh some more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure more stuff's going to come up that we yeah. want to bring. Somebody's going to get joked on next time. <laughs> we're, still waiting, we're still waiting for someone to make fun of Joe for, and nothing ever happens. Dude, I'm untouchable. <laughs> for now. For now. We're waiting for it. We're waiting, for that, we're waiting for that moment where we're just going, hey, Joe, remember that time you yeah. blah, blah, blah? Well, I'm waiting for it, too. <laughs> and Nick's sitting over there, like, all innocent. Like, He's trying to Nick, stay under the radar. Nick doesn't train. Nick's like, yeah, I got, like, three jobs. So yeah, I'm not training today right now. Nick has no response. <laughs> yeah. You can't argue. I, really like, I, I do have too many jobs. But then again, Jessica Khan is waiting for him outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully she'll be at the next in house. <laughs> Jess was training at uh, AOJ. She was training at AOJ. Art of Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, AOJ. Now they moved to California, so you're oh, safe wow. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Very I good. think she still has your arm hanging around her neck on a chain. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're like Nick. Her name, everybody's Jessa, getting it. Nobody's her name safe. Is just a lady armbar. <laughs> you should have watched out for the armbar. She's good though, man. She was. She's really like, good. Yeah. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a fun. She one. is. It was a great match. Yeah. And pretty one-sided, I remember. Yeah, it kind of was. Damn, man, pun on thick. It's okay, Nick, man. We're just messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> Nick's a warrior. We'll have to have an episode. You'd have to have an episode just about Nick. In the beginning. Eventually, we're going to do like, a yeah. highlight thing. Right. On the seventh day, it said that he rested when he actually created Nicholas Phillip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's that thing I need to tell you about, Chris. I have a brain surgery tomorrow. I'll be back in three months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a story for later. Uh, yeah. For yeah. another time. For another time, uh, definitely. For another podcast. Yeah. So to our uh, hey, listeners, real quick, uh, we just want to let you guys know uh, we're coming up on the end of our first year of doing this. Woohoo! Yeah. So, uh, and so far, we got kind of like a small fan base, but definitely dedicated because we've uh, hit well over 160 downloads on our podcast. So we definitely thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, we definitely yeah. want you to start spreading the word too to all your friends. You know, even if they're not fans, if you just like hearing the stupid shit that we say, this is a perfect podcast to listen to, mm-hmm. and it's all free. And of course, uh, we're on the the Podbean website, so Four Horsemen Combat Sports is where you can find us. And uh, once again, Crips, thank you again for. Oh, doing you're welcome, this. man. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. The, good the, stuff. The good information yep. and all the good advice and everything and all the good stories. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. We should go now get Josh some cake. Now Josh is hungry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. we, yeah, I'm always hungry, man. Did you mention he likes food? <laughs> we should get Does some cake. Food? Does anyone else want to go get cake? Not particularly. I got a cupcake in the car. <laughs> if, that cake, if, that, if by cake you mean beer, then yes. Yeah. Well, be. I'm sure we can find a place that serves beer. Shindig! Yeah. <laughs> and they're open till get midnight. We'll get that chocolate. We'll get that chocolate cake. Okay, we, <laughs> okay, we, we need to we need to Josh end this. We're, we're debilitating <laughs> into cake talk. <laughs> so, all right, everyone, once again, I'm Joe. I'm Josh. I'm Nicholas. I'm Brian. And I, I'm Chris. For <laughs> <laughs> the uninitiated. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, thanks you thanks for listening, and we'll uh, see you again after the new year. Mm. So much for the cues, just right. <laughs>